Hey, welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast, your one-stop destination for all things health and a kick-ass life. I'm Laurence, a certified nutritional practitioner and health coach, PCOS fighter, creator of PCOS Breakthrough, and your host of the Addicted to Healthy podcast. So today, I'm super excited to welcome Sarah Beckwith and Maggie Morgan. We'll be talking all about the differences between disordered eating and eating disorders, the brain binge connection, and why willpower has nothing to do with it triggers of disordered eating and why you may be more at risk, and tools to overcoming disordered eating and finding food freedom. So we'll also be talking about their experiences and giving you lots of tips and lots of insight into their research. So I hope you love this information and this episode, and um, I can't wait for you to hear it. So today I have Sarah Beckwith and Maggie Morgan on the podcast from Mind Strong Movement, and we'll be talking all about disordered eating and psychology and nutrition and lots of good stuff about the triggers to why we binge, why we go into dieting and all of that. So Sarah Beckwith is a researcher with a background in health psychology, neuroscience, and social cognition. Former ballet dancer, Sarah recently competed in her first powerlifting competition, and she hopes to continue learning about the sport and all things related to health and fitness. Sarah has recovered from both anorexia nervosa and binge eating disorder, experiences that have made her passionate about the psychological aspects of health. Sarah hopes that MindStrong Movement will provide people with the tools they need to reach their goals in a healthy, sustainable way. Maggie Morgan is a competitive powerlifter currently working towards her degree in nutrition and dietetics in Los Angeles. Maggie's passion lies within helping others learn how to properly fuel their bodies through sharing her knowledge and experiences as a bodybuilding competitor, world-level powerlifter, and nutrition coach. With MindStrong Movement, Maggie hopes to find the most effective ways to guide people toward reaching their fullest potential in health, fitness, and overall well-being. Welcome, guys, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. And I just wanted to get started with just talking about, I know I mentioned MindStrong Movement, but if you guys just kind of wanted to talk about what that is and then introduce yourselves. Yeah, so MindStrong Movement is a podcast that we host, um, and we started it as kind of a reaction to some gaps that we saw in the fitness and health industries. Um, everything in fitness and health and wellness is so categorized. So like you have fitness people and then you have wellness people and then you have psychology people and then you have nutrition people. And we wanted to kind of create a platform where we could blend all of those worlds and, and have conversations with people from all different, um, categories and kind of integrate them to give people a more comprehensive look at health and fitness. So Kind of the areas that we span are um, fitness, nutrition, and psychology. I have a background in psychology. Um, Maggie has a background as an athlete. So we've been able to kind of combine forces and create a podcast where we talk to um, researchers and athletes and coaches and influencers. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit about MindStrong. Yeah, and to add on to that, we we also saw that there was a gap between um, the research and the academics and that side of the information and kind of applying that to athletes and coaches in real life situations. So we feel like there's a lot of information out there um, that researchers are putting a lot of time into, but a lot of it doesn't mm -hmm. get translated into the real life. For example, on social media, 
Um, people think that that's all there is out there sometimes, I think, but really there's, there's a whole other world of research and academics out there that can really be applied well um, if it can be translated into an understandable uh, way. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I love it. I love what you guys are doing. I try to combine different aspects as well with my podcast. Um, I don't really go too much into like the fitness stuff, but I really go into pretty much holistic health. So that encompasses everything, right? And I really think that that's important because some people think that they just need to conquer their nutrition or the fitness or just get the right supplement, but it's really about everything coming together. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important to really combine all aspects of health together. And I really like what you guys have been doing. That's actually funny because I think that's something that we've recently learned more about since we started the podcast is how important this holistic view of all of these aspects of health together are. We, we knew that they were important individually and we wanted to talk about all of them, but I think, mm-hmm. well, I'm talking for myself, but I think that since speaking with a lot of people about them as a holistic um, entity has really opened our eyes to how important it is to look at them all together as one, not just separate entities. Yeah, absolutely. And talking to so many different people from different backgrounds, when you have all these separate conversations and you see that everything overlaps, you start Mm -hmm. to realize how integrated we are as humans and how we can't approach just one side. It really is about the whole person. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that's why podcasting is such a great tool because you're teaching people, but you're also learning yourself and you're putting all the the pieces together. And I agree. When I was going to nutrition school, I obviously was, it was a holistic nutrition course. So obviously the focus was on encompassing all aspects with a focus on nutrition, but I didn't really understand it fully until I started applying it and working with clients and just seeing that it wasn't all about food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is what we're also going to talk about food today. <laughs> started eating and I know you guys have had your experiences with that, me as well. So it's going to be an interesting conversation about our experiences. And then you guys have also researched a lot and um, talked with a lot of professionals about this topic. So if you guys want to talk a little bit about your experience with disordered eating and, um, yeah, your journey with that. Sure, yeah. So um, I have never struggled with an eating disorder, but I have um, experienced disordered eating. And I think it's really important to separate the two as well. Um, as you'll hear from Sarah later, she, she has suffered from um, eating disorders, and it's a lot more intense and it takes a lot more time to recover from. But I think that um, hearing about people with disordered eating is also important because it's a bit more relatable as there's more people who I think suffer from disordered eating. So I, when I started to get into health and fitness, I became really obsessed with the gym and with eating and trying all these different fad diets, like the no carb, this, that. And honestly, I didn't even know what a carb was at the time. So I started working with a coach And he started giving me outlines as to what I should be eating to reach my health and fitness goals. And I just became so obsessed with the numbers and what I was eating and if it was right and if it wasn't right and started researching. And I almost ended up knowing too much information that I just second guessed everything I was putting in my body. And eventually I would just crack and I would um, have binging episodes where I would just eat so much because I, I had been restricting myself because I was so unsure of what I should be putting in my body. So I would go for extended periods of time with probably not um, fueling my body with what it needed. And then I would just crack and binge on um, (laughs) quite a surplus of calories. So, and then I would feel really guilty. And the next day I would 
uh, do tons of cardio and restrict myself again. And it was just kind of a, a cycle that I, I was able to get out of quite easily, but it, it did get the best of me for a while. And in those moments of regret, the first thing that always comes to mind was to purge. You just want to get it out of your, out of your body. So I did suffer or I did struggle with that for um, quite some time, but then I decided to turn my focus to um, powerlifting and I started preparing myself for a powerlifting meet. And I really started to learn how fueling my body properly and adequately with a lot of food translated into strength. And I really started to appreciate that on another level. And that really, really helped me overcome a lot of these binging tendencies. Um, and in order to accept the fact that I was going to be gaining a bit of weight uh, along with the strength gains, I decided to uh, register for a bodybuilding competition after my first powerlifting meet. So that kind of gave me the sense of you're going to be okay. You're going to lose the weight again, and you're going to be comfortable in your body again. Eventually, this is just all part of the process. So when I was when I started preparing for my bodybuilding meet, I got, as I mentioned, really obsessed with the numbers of macro counting and calorie counting. Um, but at times it was a bit obsessive, but I also think that it really helped me overcome these binging tendencies as well, because I was able to have a structure and have a plan and that enabled me to not want to binge because I just wanted to stick to the plan. I wanted to hit those numbers and I knew, and I trusted in my coach that I was eating enough to get me towards my goals. And I just put all the thinking on my coach and all I was responsible for was getting in those calories. And so I was getting in those calories. I wasn't hungry. I wasn't feeling deprived. I didn't feel the need to binge and therefore I didn't feel the need to purge at all either. So I think that at the end of the day, macro counting really saved me in that sense. But um, after a few years of counting macros um, and going back and forth between being a bit obsessed about it and being more loose with it, um, I've gotten to a point where I'm quite comfortable with eating intuitively I go back to macro counting every once in a while just to kind of feel like I'm getting back on track. But otherwise, it was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah, and Sarah? Um, yeah, so for me, I, like you mentioned in the intro, was a ballet dancer. I started dancing when I was three and was totally planning on being a professional ballerina. That was the plan. Um, so right around puberty, around 13, 14 is when you start feeling the pressure of like, okay, if I'm going to be really serious about this, I need to, um, dedicate my whole life to ballet. And part of that means looking the part. Um, so I started my first diet when I was 14. It wasn't anything extreme. It was just to lose a few pounds to look a little more like a ballet dancer. Um, and it just spiraled out of control so, so quickly. And I ended up being diagnosed with anorexia nervosa within the year. Um, and I struggled with that for about four years and I can go into more detail if you want, but long story short, I eventually recovered around my senior year of high school, decided that ballet was way too much pressure and I couldn't really separate it from my eating disorder. So I stopped dancing and I ended up going to college to study psychology and the goal was to study the psychology of food and health behavior and eating pathology um, and to develop treatment for eating disorders. And while I was in the midst of researching and, and studying for my degree, I ended up developing binge eating disorder. And that's something that's really common for people who struggle with anorexia. It happens a lot. Um, I was, you know, starving myself for three to four years. So kind of the natural response that your brain has after that um, extended starvation is to crave really, really large amounts of calories. And I 
struggled in isolation for a very, very long time. I didn't really want to share with anyone what I was going through. It seemed like a really shameful and difficult thing to talk about. Um, so I dealt with that pretty much all the way through college for about three, yeah, about three years. And then I graduated and continued on um, in public health research. And this whole time while I'm researching all of these things about eating pathology and binge eating and I couldn't get my own eating under control. Um, and I finally reached a point about a year after I graduated from college where I was like, I've got to do something about this. Like this is taking over my life. I had put on a lot of weight and um, I kept on wanting to try to lose the weight. So I would cycle out of these like dieting and then I would just go back to binging and then I would try to lose the weight and diet and go back to binging again. Um, and throughout that time of trying to figure out what to do and trying all kinds of different things, I came across Maggie on social media and I had never really thought about powerlifting before. Um, I had been in and out of the gym and I was familiar with, you know, like I lifted weights and I knew how to squat bench and deadlift kind of. Um, but I didn't realize that powerlifting was something that was going to be accessible to me. I thought it was a sport for like, <laughs> giant men. <laughs> and then I saw Maggie doing it and saw this whole community of powerlifting um, and how the sport has grown so much and been so much more open to females and um, people of all different weight classes and was like, okay, maybe this would be something good for me to do. And similar to what Maggie was saying, I was hoping that it would show me how to fuel my body properly, that having structure and a plan um, and a goal that I was working toward would help me um, get my my eating and my my nutrition under control. So I reached out to Maggie and she started coaching me. Um, and that this process over the past like eight months or so has been so healing. Um, getting into powerlifting and and learning that food is fuel and that dieting is not going to help me gain strength. It's not going to help me get to where I want to be. But having balance and having a healthy relationship with food is what's going to get me where I want to be. Um, has been so, so great. So that's a little of, of my mm -hmm. story. Um, and with working with Sarah, she, we were able to increase, start increasing her calories. Um, and she hadn't, she hasn't binged in quite some time now. And, um, her strength has increased immensely and she's just, I can tell she's, she's super happy and yeah. she looks amazing. <laughs> she, she came to me with the goal of wanting to lose weight. And I said, okay, like that's probably going to happen anyways, but we're not going to focus on like decreasing your calories because right now that's not what your body needs. So we focus on increasing her calories and the more calories she ate, the more weight she mm -hmm. ended up losing. So yeah, it's, it's been a really nice process to watch. Yeah, that's incredible. It's really going against the, um, the notion of like calories in, calories out and the dieting industry and um yeah just giving your body what it needs because then mm -hmm. it's going to function properly and when you have a healthy body you can't be overweight right like mm -hmm, your right. body's going to find balance and i really love that i love that you guys really work through your struggles with that and you came out stronger and now you're able to help other people with that i do have a few things i want to go over with what you guys mentioned but the first one i just wanted to talk about is the difference between disordered eating and eating disorder many people might re not really know so how would you say how to differentiate like do you need to go to a doctor to get diagnosed like what would disordered eating look like versus and having an eating disorder 
Yeah, it's kind of a fuzzy line sometimes. Um, and like technically to be diagnosed with an eating disorder, yes, you do need to see a medical professional or psychiatrist. Um, and there are criteria in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Manual for Psychological Disorders, um, that you have to meet in order to be diagnosed. And that includes, well, it doesn't include a certain body weight anymore, actually. Um, it's more about your behavior, how long the behavior has been occurring, how much weight you have lost um, as a percentage of your overall body weight. Um, but I think that the biggest thing when something crosses over from being disordered eating to an eating disorder is A, it begins to take over your entire life and there's a loss of function and there's no part of your life that is unaffected by it. And then I think B, um, there's a there's a, a loss of control and you get into a place where you cannot get out of it yourself. Um, and again, that's a really fuzzy line and I think it can be hard to distinguish. And I think it's also important for people to realize that, like Maggie was saying, you don't have to have an eating disorder for it to be a problem that needs to be addressed and, and something that you need to reach out for help. Because I think a lot of people don't think that their problems are big enough or serious enough or, well, I'm not anorexic, so I shouldn't, you know, be worried about this. But like any level of disordered eating that is affecting your life is important and should be addressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that you mentioned that um, because, yeah, even for me at one point I was like, oh, yeah, it'll just pass. Like, it'll be fine. But and that it wasn't really valid for me to go seek out help, even though it was, as you said, it took over my life. It was literally affecting everything in my life, even though I was keeping a secret. So, yeah, I think that if you do find you're losing control, that you just don't have a healthy relationship with food that's taking over, that you don't you feel powerless, then it's never too early to seek out help you know yeah, so absolutely. and especially to stop the cycle before it just gets too much and it takes over it takes over your life mm -hmm. it can last for years so I mean the suffering that you can go through is just not worth it so I definitely like that you mentioned that and I also think another thing that you mentioned and that I can also relate to is being in the field of health or nutrition and wellness and struggling with something like this, um, it can be really shameful and embarrassing. And like you were talking about, you kept it a secret as well. It was really embarrassing to share because you might be, you know, an influencer or people look up to you, you're in the field, you're researching all this stuff about nutrition, you get it, you understand, but you're struggling with this. So for me, it was really something that I had a hard time accepting too, because I was helping other people, but I couldn't get a handle on myself so I think that's also being able to accept that you may need some outside help and it doesn't mean that you're any less worthy or not knowledgeable or that you can't help other people um, that one's a big one too that came up for me and then how people view eating disorders so that also goes into dis disordered eating or eating disorders um, how people see maybe if um, somebody looks anorexic, it's that comment that comes out, like, just eat a burger or something. Or if somebody's overweight and they're binging, like, just lose the weight. Like, it can't be that hard. And um, it's really not – it's really problematic because already if you're in that situation, it's a very emotional component to sordid eating. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, comments like that and just triggers and how people view – eating disorders in general, I think is starting to shift, but there is still that generalization of those comments and just seeing it as something that's 
really easy to change, but it's definitely not. Yeah, we, we were lucky enough to be able to speak with some um, researchers at the University of California, San Diego at the Eating Disorder Center. And um, they really shone some light on myths about eating disorders. And we were, it was really interesting to talk to them because we were just kind of like, smashing down the myths, being like, no, like that's, that's not true. And they have scientific evidence to prove that it's not a choice. It's not something people are doing for attention. It's not something that can be quickly cured. They, they really are looking at the brain and how the brain functions when somebody does have an eating disorder. And it's, it's, a, it's a chemical imbalance that, that people are suffering from that is causing them to, to act this way. So it's, we, we also agree that it's really important to, to make sure that people don't think that these myths are, are true and to really try and, um, what's the word? Disprove them. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah. And just thinking that like, it's, yeah, like I said, like it's easy to get over it, but it's also, like you said, it's in the brain, like it's a chemical reaction, something that you're missing are, are people saying that um, it's all about willpower, like you're, you don't want it enough or whatever. It's, it's not about willpower at all. It's something that's going on in your body and you need to address that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, did you want to talk about some of the myths that if you can remember or that came up? Yeah, um... I think that, I mean, I feel like we're doing a lot better as a society Um, as far as eating disorders. Yeah. But I know like for me, when I was in it, um, a lot of the myths were just like that it's about vanity or that it's all about how you look um, as someone who has anorexia. And that's really not necessarily true. Like there is that component of I want to be skinny. I want to lose as much weight as possible. But I think that for most people who have anorexia, you can look at it a lot more as a food phobia and you start to become scared of food as a concept, not just as it relates to you gaining weight. So something that I tell people is like, imagine your worst fear. Like if you have this terrible phobia of spiders and then imagine having to face that fear every day, three times a day for the rest of your life. Like that's what it feels like. Um, And it's not just about, it's not about, how much you weigh um we're trying to be skinny so that was that was a major myth for me and then as far as binge eating I think that that one's really tough and I think that one we still have a lot more work to do there in the mental health field um just the belief that you know if you try harder you can lose the weight and just stop eating um binge eating is something that I think is really not well understood Mm -hmm. I think uh purging as well yeah a lot of people think that that one is for attention or people who suffer with it are just looking for attention which we were, when we were talking to the people doing the research, it's, it's more so, what did they say? Something to do with not being able to control your impulses and then mm-hmm. just feeling this remorse about your decisions. It's, it's so much deeper than just, oh, am I just looking for attention? Um, and a lot of people also do it in secrecy, which I think kind of dispels that myth as well, because if you were looking for attention, it wouldn't be done in secrecy right right like I did everything to hide my eating disorders I was not trying to get attention for it Mm -hmm. oh yeah for sure me too I definitely relate to that like it's not something you usually display publicly and you're proud of Mm -hmm. it's something that yeah it's uncontrollable and you really want to to fix it but a lot of the time it's just it can be really embarrassing and 
and we really want to change that to be able to open up the discussion and I think it, it is really changing and people are becoming more open to it and the conversation is starting to really happen mm-hmm. um, but would you say certain people are more prone than to eating disorders yes um, I think a good analogy for eating disorders is to look at it like a loaded gun um, and the, the genetics are whether that gun is loaded or not and then environment you have environmental triggers that decide whether that gun goes off. So like for me, I don't know if I ever would have had an eating disorder if I wasn't in ballet because that was the trigger. But there are plenty of people who do ballet and don't have eating disorders because I have that genetic predisposition. Whereas I think for myself, I may have been exposed to the triggers, but I don't have that genetic predisposition to, so that it didn't turn into an eating disorder. Right. So for you, the anorexia was basically because of the pressure of being in the, in the field of ballet and all of that. And then with the binging, um, what, kind of, what kind of trigger was that for the binging? Yeah, well, just to, I think that ballet was the trigger for it, but that wasn't what kept it going. You know what I'm saying? So right. I, like that wasn't what kept the eating disorder going. I didn't care enough about ballet to get my body to that point like there really was um a lot of other things but that was the trigger for it and then as far as the binging um like I I think I mentioned um that's a really common thing that happens for people with anorexia it's a common thing that happens when people diet is they swing over into binging so just imagine a four-year extreme diet um your brain goes crazy and it goes into survival mode and you lose sense of your hunger and fullness signals and your brain is just constantly trying to get you to eat really large amounts of food. And um, like something that I spent a lot of time doing when I was struggling with binging was trying to find some underlying like emotional or psychological cause. And um, not that that isn't there for some people, but for me, and I think for a lot of people, binging is a response to caloric restriction that then becomes a habit. And as that habit is reinforced, it becomes harder and harder to break. And I think that a lot of times it's kind of unnecessary to spend a lot of time wondering what emotional or situational or psychological causes at the root of it when at the root of it is just your body's biological response to starvation. And, and the cure is to break the habit and feed your body. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that a lot of people can relate with that, like dieting and then feeling constantly hungry and just never feeling satisfied. And also, I definitely agree with the psychological aspects to it and the emotional. It's usually not about the food, which is ironic because most people approach disordered eating with food. So like, for instance, for me, if I went on a binge, then I was like, okay, tomorrow we are restricting, we are eating. I already planned out my whole day of eating, and which is obviously already stressful. Um, and then you think about maybe a cleanse that you could go on or another diet Mm -hmm. or just maybe fasting the whole day. And that's really not going to be addressing why you have these tendencies. And you're also, for instance, with me, with the binging, it was pretty much a reward if I was stressed or angry or sad. I knew that food would be giving me that dopamine hit and that would make me feel better for maybe 30 seconds, but then I would feel like crap after. So the 
the way I viewed food was really as a reward to help me feel better. Mm-hmm. But you really want to break that habit, like you said, and find something else that is rewarding that doesn't involve food. And most of the time, it is really looking into what's going on emotionally. And yeah, I mean, everybody's different. Everybody has different triggers, but it is usually an emotional component mm-hmm. that you do want to look at. Yeah. And so how... Would you say, how did you guys first, so you were talking about macro counting and just having a healthy relationship with food. So if somebody is in that cycle of disordered eating, how would you go about to change the habit or break the habit? What would be the first steps that you could take? If they were experiencing disordered eating or any yeah. specific, any specific- I mean, you can relate it to your experience, like either either like binge or anorexia or just in general. Um, But yeah, just being able to like break the habit. And for instance, for me, for a long time, it was the same thing happening over and over again. And then I hit a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I reached out for help. So, but that can take years too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what would you suggest would be like the first thing to do when you really, you realize that this is a problem and you need to do something about it? I really do think that um, reaching out for help is the number one thing that you should do because this is not something that anybody should be dealing with alone, no matter how drastic their um, disordered eating is. And I also think that people who suffer with disordered eating, it's they, they lose a sense of control. And I think that putting that sense of control in somebody else's hands, somebody that you have a connection with, that you trust is really, really important because then it just takes this whole load of stress off your mind. And if you start feeling tendencies that you're going to start, that you're, that you're going to binge or something like that, you have somebody to talk to and you have somebody who understands and who's not judging you and who genuinely wants to help you, um, to help you through those, those moments. Um, and so from a nutritional kind of perspective, I think that if you've been suffering with inconsistent eating for an extended period of time, the number one thing to do is to get yourself on a consistent um, intake, not a caloric deficit, not an over, like not a, a, a huge surplus, but something maintainable and sustainable for an extended period of time. So at least three months, um, just focus on consistent eating. And once you've been consistent with your intake on a healthy, sustainable intake for about three months, then you can start looking at any sort of goals you have and start analyzing whether or not your metabolism has reached a point where you can start manipulating it if you want to, if you have these further goals. But I think it's really, really important to focus on consistency for an extended period of time and be comfortable with that consistency and happy with your eating and your body, regardless of any sort of like physique goals that you have or like body weight goals that you have and also throw out the scale that thing is just stupid (laughs) (laughs) I agree (laughs) but yeah those are those are my two two points I would say and and usually the the intake part setting the intake and being consistent with that intake is on um the onus is on a nutrition coach if you do reach out to one um and that's another thing that you wouldn't have to be thinking about so in in my experience if when I was in a situation where I was feeling out of control with my nutrition and had tendencies to binge, I couldn't myself 
decipher what my maintainable, sustainable intake would be for three months. I could not for the life of me figure that out. Even if I had all of the knowledge, had done all of the research, had asked many people questions, there's no way I would be able to be comfortable with an intake and not every day second guess myself and be like, no, I'm eating too little. No, I'm eating too much. No, I'm eating too little. And that just leads to inconsistency. So it's kind of regardless of what you know and how knowledgeable you are in the subject of nutrition, having somebody else just say, this is what you need to be eating. Eat this consistently. Somebody you trust, obviously, um, I think is really important. Love it. Yeah, I definitely think that seeing somebody who's knowledgeable in that and has experience dealing with um, people going through disordered eating is really, really, really Mm -hmm. important. And obviously having that trust and um, yeah, just being able to trust the person and open up because that's really important to be able to get to the root cause and to address the the issue going on. I just wanted to talk a little bit also something just came up (laughs) with binging because I think a lot of people, if they haven't gone through it, they don't really understand how you can just keep eating until you make yourself feel sick. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what your experience was with it, but for me, it was basically just being, having an out of body experience. Like I wasn't in control of my body, which was just reaching for more food. And like when you're opening the fridge and you close it and you open it like 25 times and you just keep going back and forth. And it's really something that's very scary because you know you don't want to be in that place. Like you don't want to be doing this, but you just keep going. So that was my experience. Um, I don't know if you had a similar experience, but do you have anything you could say when you're in that moment of binging? Like, is it possible to stop? Or if you start the train, like if you start binging, like are you just going to go until the end? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that it is possible. I mean, yeah, it, once you are able to acknowledge that you are responding to an urge and it's not actually you doing it, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, then it's kind of able to separate, then you're kind of able to separate the two and say, okay, this is an urge that I'm getting and I'm going to right now say no to it. Even if earlier in the day, say you said yes to it, you're not going to say, oh, screw it. I'll just say no to it tomorrow. It's like, okay, no, right now I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm going to separate it from myself and say no to it. Sarah probably has more to add to that. Yeah, no, that's, I totally agree. I mean, the brain is so complex, so (laughs) it's crazy that we can have some regions of our brain that are like, no, I don't want to binge. That's absolutely not what I want to do. I don't want to do this. But then we have these other areas of our brain that are in complete conflict to that. And the more that you binge, the louder those areas of the brain get. And something that I've learned from neuroscience, and we also um, got to interview Katherine Hansen, who wrote the book Brain Over Binge. And the way that she explains it is that we have this um, higher brain, and then we have this lower brain. And the lower brain is that like primitive um, survival instincts. It's the fight or flight response. It's the um, it's what initially starts a binge after a diet. You know, you've been dieting, your body is restricted from calories, and then that primitive side of your brain gets really scared. Oh my gosh, we're starving and sends out all these signals for you to binge eat. But then your higher brain is the brain that is actually you. And that's where your logical reasoning takes over. And so when you can learn that distinction and when you can learn those binge, when those binge urges come, that it's your lower brain trying to get you to binge and you can separate it. I, I think it becomes so much easier to stop the binge, whether you 
have started binge eating or whether you're in the middle um, of a binge, learning to separate those two voices, I think is a really important step in the process of healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that really goes into the whole willpower thing about, oh, like you just don't have enough willpower to stop. It's actually more than that, right? Like it's the primal brain. That's a pretty big deal. Um, if it's telling you to do something, then you're probably going to do it. And um, yeah, the brain, the whole brain over binge thing, that's, um, I bet you guys could talk about that for days, like, and the research behind that and it must be super fascinating to see how chemically that actually alters what you decide to do and, and just your eating patterns. Um, but I was yeah. also wondering, Sorry, were you going to oh, say? No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> um, about relapsing, because I know a lot of people go into relapsing, and maybe they've got over, gotten over one issue, but then they go into another eating disorder, or they go into binging again, or whatever it is. And I don't know if you guys have experience with the relapsing, or if you've gotten a little bit of research into that. But how do you explain the relapsing? Um. Well, I mean, as far as like how you would explain it in brain terms, um, <laughs> you're, when you create a habit of disordered eating, you're literally wiring your brain. It's called neuroplasticity. So you're actually changing the structure and the function of your brain. So when you have binged for years or months or even just a few times, you're creating these neural pathways in your brain. So trigger happens, your brain starts to crave the binge food, and then you binge and it deepens that pathway every single time. And the process of recovery is rewiring and undoing that neural pathway that you've created. And that takes a lot of time. And once that pathway in your brain is kind of etched out, there for a long time is a chance that it's going to activate again. Um, but I think it's really important for people to know that relapse is normal. And if you don't relapse when you're recovering from disordered eating or an eating disorder, you're a very rare bird. <laughs> so just like knowing up front, like that it's expected that, okay, I, I might relapse, but that's okay. Like, and I think something that really um, has helped me is learning to use my failure as feedback. So every single time that you relapse or you um, go off your plan or whatever, don't get caught up in what just happened, but use that as information for how you can do better the next time. Mm -hmm. You're not screwed and that's, you're not yeah, going to fall right back into old patterns all the time. It's just something, yeah, you can learn from. Right. Yeah. And that also goes into like, if somebody does binge and then they feel like a failure. And for instance, if you eat, like if you're on a diet and you eat a cookie, then you think, oh, damn it, I broke the rules. Now I have to just eat everything in sight. Or since I broke the rules, I might as well just eat the ice cream that I usually can't have or the cake, which is what definitely happened to me. And it's basically all or nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just acknowledging the progress. And even if you had a cookie, that's great. Enjoy the cookie. And then just keep eating like you usually do. Like just whenever you're hungry and eat a balanced meal or whatever it is. And um, acknowledging that if you do have a relapse, I think that's important. Um, just acknowledging it and mm -hmm. moving forward and addressing that you are making progress and you are moving towards your goal and that you don't have to go back into like all or nothing mode, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one reason I really like the sport of powerlifting is because if you ever, if I ever did have moments like that where I would eat a cookie or something like that, instead of looking at it as like, oh my gosh, I put this cookie in my body. Now I'm 
screwed and all these bad things are going to happen. I'm like, no, okay, I'm going to the gym tomorrow and I'm just going to have a really good workout. I'm going to like, my squats are going to be really strong. Um, it's just all going to translate into strength. And once I made that connection and was able to see that connection in the gym, I, my mindset around food and those random cookies here and there or whatever they may be, um, I started to see them more positively and I was able to um, forgive myself more easily and just have a, a much more healthy relationship with food. Yeah, I love it. Being able to change a negative into a positive thought and just being strong instead of seeing it as just being like a weakness or failing. I think that's really amazing. Just changing the conversation in your head is something that is pretty simple to do. I mean, it can be a little bit challenging at first if you're constantly thinking negative thoughts and uh, about yourself or food, but just slowly just changing conversation or even asking yourself if this is true. Like, is this cookie actually going to define me? Is it going to ruin my life? Like logically the answer is no. And then just changing that into positive. I think that's a, a great tool to use as well. And that I've been using as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that was, Really great information. I think that's a lot of stuff that people can go away with and just even tips on um, addressing if they are seeing any eating disorder tendencies or if they're thinking they might need to reach out to somebody. Um, I hope that they do that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know that you guys mentioned a little bit about what you do and the Mind Strong Movement podcast, but if you guys want to talk about anything that you're doing right now, any offers, anything coming up, any projects you're working on, how to reach you guys, um, definitely go ahead. Yeah, so like we mentioned, we have the podcast, which is called Mind Strong Movement. Um, we're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere. <laughs> um, and then we're also on Instagram at Mind Strong Movement. And we just launched um, our coaching programs. So we do offer um, macro plans, meal plans, fitness plans. Um, and then we have a six-month program that we're doing that's really comprehensive that addresses all of the um, physical as well as the mental side of things. So if you are struggling with disordered eating, um, that's something that we address with that program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we work with people on uh, strength training, fat loss, disordered eating, creating meal plans, um, macronutrient plans, and repairing metabolism as well. And yeah, we're currently working on a free ebook that will be out in the next couple of weeks on just how to implement healthy into your life because um, we're really stressing the fact that anybody can can have a, a healthy lifestyle. It just has to be one that fits in their own life, and this can take any any sort of shape or form. Um, so we're just all about helping people kind of figure out what that is for themselves, so that they can happily be implementing. Uh, a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. So we'll launch that ebook. Um, it'll probably be all over our Instagram and then our website is just mindstrongmovement.com. Mm -hmm. And feel free to um, reach out to us by email at uh, coaching.mindstrong at gmail.com. Amazing. Well, I'm really excited for you guys. That sounds amazing. I'm so happy for you for the coaching as well. That's going to be so helpful for so many people. Um, and for the listeners, if you aren't following Maggie and Sarah already, definitely do so. I will put all the links to what they just mentioned in the show notes so that you guys can go follow them, check out what they're doing. And uh, thank you again so much for being on. It was a really great conversation today. And I hope really valuable for our listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. Thanks for having us. And maybe we'll have you on our yes, podcast to talk it. further about this. I would love that. Yeah, we could talk all day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Okay, thanks. 
Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening to my episode today. I really hope you loved it. If you did, I would really appreciate a review on iTunes. Otherwise, definitely check out Sarah and Maggie's content. I will have all of their links in the show notes. You can check out their social media and their website. Definitely recommend checking out their podcast as well. There's lots of great information in there. And on a last note, if you are looking for support with your PCOS, I have two spots left for my one-on-one intensive coaching program. This is 100% customized to you and your goals. We go at your pace. We focus on your concerns and what's really holding you back. And we really focus on the main triggers and the root causes to your PCOS so that you can heal and thrive in the long term. So I don't believe in quick fixes. I believe that we each can heal our bodies and I want to help you start this journey and believe it too. I've done it myself. I've reversed my symptoms. I've seen countless other women do the same. So I know it's possible. So if you are interested in this, if you're ready to take it to the next level and learn how to support your body with nutrition naturally and really how to understand PCOS and how to deal with it in the long term, definitely reach out to me and we can chat how I can best support your health goals.